I'm trying to finish this uh, series we've been on for a while and uh, have some ideas about what maybe to do in the future. But we've been discussing uh, <clears throat> this particular matter of the four, I'm calling the four great questions. Is there a God? If there is, what is this God like? If we determine that, then what do, can, does this God expect from me? And then finally, what we've been on is what can we or what can you expect from God? <clears throat> That's a, a fairly a significant matter because uh, in a lot of ways, a lot of us, our expectations in life uh, either <clears throat> provide us with a lot of joy uh, because they come to pass or <clears throat> um, they uh, cause pain and problems. Today, I want to look at this particular subject. What can I expect from God to be taken into his care and we're going to be looking in Psalm 23. It's a pretty familiar passage, but I want to look at this as I've done some work and thought about this, that what can you expect from God to be taken into his care? Now, here's what I ask you a question. This past uh, couple weeks ago, uh, it occurred to me a few months ago that my doctor is the same age I am. That's a bad idea. <clears throat> you know, I just thought about that. Wait a minute. I mean, he's been a good doctor. He's a good guy, and I've used him for over 20 years, but I, I went in there the other day, and I thought... He's going to retire uh, because he's made a lot more money than I have. <laughs> and uh, one of these days, I'm going to have to find another doctor. So I decided I wanted to put myself in the care of a younger doctor, right? So I know a doctor and went to him the other day, and we had our little discussion about if it comes in a pill, I take it, not a needle. So we had that discussion, and uh, we're, we're pretty good. But <clears throat> I, I, I said I need to put myself in the care of somebody that can care for me bef uh, till you know, I kind of leave the stage or Becky kills me, uh, <clears throat> which would be a good idea. Uh, so uh, I don't know about you. Have you thought about that? Have you, have you thought about it? Have you got the right doctor? Have you got the, I'm thinking about my dentist now. You know, I'm thinking, okay, he's about my age. Yeah. My doctor's a paleontologist. Your doctor's a paleontologist. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Whatever works for you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so I mean, when we think about putting ourselves in the care of someone, we think about that, you know, and we're going to look at if we can expect to be as we put ourselves in the care of God. So here's what I want you to do. You know, we talk about class like that and bigger. Here's I want you to do something at your table real quickly. What, who is the person that you would put yourself in the care of for your finances or for your spiritual growth, or for your career. Can you think about that? Who would you, it can be anybody in the world, or anybody that's ever existed. Talk on your table, just for a minute, I'm going to do that. Who would you put yourself in the care of for your spiritual life, or your finances, or your career, okay? No, any one of those. Any, no, no, any one of those. Any one of those. Hey, and make sure you know who's at your table. Any one of those, career, finances, spiritual life. Table's having too much fun up here. This table's having too much fun.
Okay. Uh, just, do you, you know, maybe you met somebody new. Somebody, I know only the extroverts are going to respond to That's okay. But who, is anybody, decide, who would you like to put, be under the care of in your career? Anybody? Nobody? <laughs> so you guys all think you're doing great, huh? <clears throat> who would you? Huh? Okay, the Lord. Okay, wow. Okay, I got a really spiritual table up here. <laughs> so that's the end of that. <clears throat> all right, no other answers. But think about it. anybody. What about your finances? Who? Bernie Madoff. <laughs> you know what? Listen, listen. I, there is no way that the guy that stole all that money had a, a real name of Madoff. I don't believe that. <clears throat> I don't believe it. I think he, something happened there. He decided nobody can make this stuff up. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, yeah. That's, yeah. So, so what, anybody Warren Buffett? Yeah, yeah, Warren Buffett. Yeah. Oh, Dave Ramsey? Yeah, he would be good. Yeah, yeah. Gary Shaw, you know, you know good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about your spiritual life? Who, who would you like to say, I'd love for them to take me under their wing in that area? Charles Stanley? Andy Stanley. Who else? Huh? <clears throat> Billy Graham. <laughs> He's Dallas who? Dallas Willard. Huh? Yeah. Pat Robertson. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> I mean, think about it. If we had the opportunity to place our life in the care of, you know, a, a, a certain person or in a particular area. Uh, there's a lot of research that indicates that in the generation that I'm working with, the uh, millennials, uh, that they one of the things they really value are mentorships. You hearing about this? They they really want someone to mentor them, and that's that's an interesting thing. As I, I talk to students, you know, they would say, "Could we spend some time? And would you spend some time investing in us?" And so, putting ourselves in the care of another person. Uh, that's kind of an interesting, interesting idea, and I, probably all of us have people that we would like to say, boy, if I could get them to take me in their care and finances or my career or my spiritual life or even raising kids or all kinds of things like that, they'd say, that'd be a great thing. Well, I, I want us to consider, and if you're in Psalm 23, you know this pretty well, I want us to look at this idea, and I'm going to walk us through this, about that what can we expect from God is us to take us into his care. Think about this for a second. If, if we would understand that God is willing, what can we expect from him? We could expect him to take us into his care. So here, here's this uh, beautiful psalm that we've read and you hear all the time, but I'm just going to read it for our hearing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Some translations say I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me before the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just want to spend a little time in this psalm. We may not get through with it today. Stop it. No. <laughs> um, 
But I want to draw just a couple of observations here quickly out of that. And to, to just uh, notice, if you will, um, all this psalm is in some sense in the present tense up to verse uh, uh, 5 or 6. And then verse six, or verse 6, it moves into the future tense. Just, just an interesting thing. And that in this uh, psalm, the word he or God is the actor. Uh, he's doing this work. And just some, just some general observations. But I want to look here, first of all, and I think I have this on your outline. I don't think I have a PowerPoint slide on this. That I'd like for us to just consider when David says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I want to talk to you just for a few moments about this. And this is all pretty familiar, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But shepherds in the ancient Near East uh, were considered to be uh, great people. Uh, kings were often called the shepherd of a country. And they were looked upon with a lot of dignity. And uh, we have a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, research and understanding that these are noble people, if you will, and they're considered leaders. And so when we talk about the Lord is our shepherd, we, we may be saying we're, we're being taken into his care as he, as he leads us. Um, I'll show you a picture here. Uh, this is a, what's considered to be a picture of an ancient Near East or a, a, an Eastern shepherd uh, in that they lead the sheep. I want you to think about that because this is a little bit different uh, than our culture. Uh, really, uh, shepherds lead sheep. Uh, and, you know, kind of our culture is we're kind of the cowboy culture and we're kind of the West and all those kind of things. And we don't think about leading sheep. We probably think about what? Driving them. Yeah. So here's a, here's a, a Middle Eastern shepherd, uh, if you will, uh, for that. Uh, and then here, this is literally a, a, an American shepherd. <laughs> See the difference? <laughs> Right, you know, here, here's an American shepherd, and and the idea of a more past, uh, a more uh, forceful kind of way that American shepherds they do they do that. I have some some friends out in San Angelo, Texas, where my family grew up, where there are what we call some real goat ropers, and uh, they raise goats and they raise raise sheep, and it's a different kind of situation uh, than 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 cattle, and the idea of, of kind of driving them instead of leading them. And so I, I kind of want to get in your mind that this idea of a shepherd who leads and who guides and, and directs like that is a little different than the way our kind of cultural uh, mentality uh, has to do with this. And uh, I will just say this. I'll come back to this uh, in, in a couple of times. But uh, a sheep's life, like probably any other animal, is largely dependent, the quality of their life, on the nature of their shepherd. Just think about that. A sheep's life, or an animal's life often, is, is largely dependent on the character of a uh, shepherd. Uh, when Becky and I, last weekend, I took her to see her mom, and I, 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 I didn't think, I, I thought about this connection. Uh, we stayed at this hotel in Garden City, which is neither a garden nor a city, but... Uh, we stayed here at this hotel we always stay at, and for the first time ever, we've ever noticed, I mean, they don't let pets in the hotel. Um, and so when we drove up, we, I parked right beside this car, and there's this big dog in this car. And I'm thinking, well, this is strange. Well, maybe they're just visiting or something. Come to find out, these people were spending the night. Uh, I guess they were traveling through the country, and, and they had this big dog uh, in the car. And I'm kind of a dog person. Uh, don't hold that against me. But, I, you know, I, Becky and I, we've rescued several dogs in our neighborhood uh, from me. But no, <laughs> no. 
I mean, we've rescued several dogs because, you know, it's just sad, you know, when, when you see them and you want to think, come on, people, take care of your dog. I don't say that. But um, so, you know, I, I'm just kind of a dog person. And, and the first thing I thought was, is poor dog. It's a little bitty car. This dog probably weighed 80 pounds and just laying in there and looking up. And when somebody would come by, he would, you know, want to want to be petted. It is sad. I, I'm, Becky can tell you, I'm serious. I worried about that dog all day. I did. Not about people, dogs. But, uh, and, and then I noticed uh, when they fed it, uh, I was kind of surprised they did, the, the hotel did it. When they fed this dog, eventually, they just threw the food on the parking lot. Yeah, they didn't have a bowl, anything. And this poor dog is eating off concrete and doesn't appear to have any water. And, and so even after we left, I said to Becky, I've thought about that dog every day. What's his life like? Not too good. Why? Because the people own him. People are supposed to care for him. You see, the quality of the sheep's life is not really dependent on the sheep. It's really dependent on the kind of shepherd you have. And when David says, I'm in his care, I got everything I need, not, not because I'm a good sheep and not because I'm a good animal and not because I'm a, of, a, of a great understanding. I, I have everything I need because I got a shepherd like this. I think I, I want you to think about that. that, that your quality of life and my quality of life and our living out our faith like that is, is not as dependent on us as we may think. It's really dependent on our shepherd in our neighborhood. I've said this to Becky before. There's a couple of dogs in my neighborhood I really feel sorry for. You know, I've, I've kind of watched out for them, taking them some food, you know, kind of throw it under the fence, you know, as long as the cameras aren't on it, you know. Because I know that the quality of life of those dogs or sheep is largely dependent. And so David says here, the Lord's my shepherd. Now, that's, that's an American shepherd. I go, I, you, you probably want to see this one. It's a German shepherd. And... Uh, <laughs> I know, it's a groaner. I know, I'm sorry. But I was talking about dogs, okay? I was talking about dogs. The Lord is my shepherd, and I have everything that I need, you know? That's why I have what I need. That, that's why you and I have what we need, is because of the shepherd. So when we, when he ta- we can expect him to take us into his care. So I want to kind of unpack this, if I can, on this first section here. It is this. Taken into his care... Personal or personally. Notice the writer David here says, the Lord is what kind of shepherd? My. My shepherd. I think when we get taken into the care of God, I have, maybe, maybe you haven't. I, I've struggled at times, you know, does God really like me? I mean, no, he loves the world. But it's sort of like that Peanuts cartoon when Linus says, I love the world, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) You know? I mean, you know, we talk about loving people, but let me tell you, that's abstract. Okay? You you can talk about loving people all you want to. Oh, we need to love people. Oh, we need to love people. Until your next-door neighbor won't roll his garbage back. Then it gets out of the abstract and gets into the substance of the matter. I was uh, telling Becky that I'm writing a paper for myself. Um... And uh, I said, you know, some, t- some of these ideas in Christian living are so abstract because they don't mean anything until they get into daily life. I'm, I'm serious when it, when, when it says, uh, 
you know, our, our, our church purpose. We walk by faith. You know, I do that until something happens <laughs> that I can't control. And then I'm walking by Cliff's brain, you know. Or I want to be known by love until you cut me off in traffic. Right? You, none of y'all ever do that. Hey, I watch some of y'all. I see you on the Hefner Parkway. It's abstract. I mean, it's abstract. We can, you, we can talk about these concepts and ideas all we want to, but they're abstract. And so the idea, the Lord is my shepherd, is he really your shepherd? Personally. This idea, this, this idea of personal. Not that God is a shepherd. That's true. But he's my shepherd. Mine. And, I, you know, I, I, I looked this up because I thought sometimes translations will get a little um, uh, loose or they try to put it in what we call uh, idiomatic English. So it, when I heard that first time, they said, uh, we're going to put this in idiomatic English. I said, are you calling me an idiot? No. But that'll get to the back here in a minute. But um, sometimes translating, I said, okay, is it, is it really my shepherd or is it just the Lord is shepherd? But in the Hebrew text, it's mine. Uh in Hebrew, whenever you have the suffix e, it's i-e, but it's translated e. Like raboni, that means my rabbi. Roi, my shepherd. David, David is personalizing this and saying, the Lord. And the word here is Yahweh. That's the, that's the sacred name of God. The reason I have everything I want is because Yahweh, the great I am, is my shepherd. I mean, that's a fantastic statement there. That, 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 that is saying that this Yahweh, the, the God of the universe, the, the God of the sacred name that no one would ever say. He, in, in, in Hebrew, when, when they try to... Okay, bad planning on my part. Watch my finger here. <laughs> in the Hebrew text, when they write the word Yahweh because they will not say it, because out of fear of using it in vain, they just put four dashes. I mean, that's how they view God's name. It's not something to be messed around with. It's not something to be trivialized. And so when David says, Yahweh, Rohi, Ro Rohi, the, the Lord, this Jehovah, he's my shepherd. Have you been... You know, I wrote my notes here. Cliff, there's 7.6 billion people on the earth. 326 million in the United States. And can you, in fact, say the Lord is my shepherd? He's mine. Not, not, not that he excludes others. Not that this one excludes others. But he does include me. I don't know about you, but all of my Christian life, I've had concerns or questions that, you know, could God pick me out of a crowd? Could he, could he pick you out of a crowd? Does he know you? Is he that personal? Now, I'm not talking about emotions or those kind of things. I'm thinking, is this God capable of knowing you personally, intimately, fully? If I read the scripture correctly, I think he does. And I think sometimes we think of God in this kind of abstraction. Oh, yeah, God's in control. God, No, no, no. Hold, hold on. What, what, what about here? Right here. In my life, in my experience. Is he my shepherd? My Lord? 
This is incredible. This, this is incredible that, that this shepherd could be mine. That's what David says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's why I have everything I need. Does that make sense? Do you ever think like this? Do you ever, do you ever think, wait a minute, could God really love me personally? Could God really be interested in me personally? I think a lot of us carry enough shame and enough of that that we have a hard time saying the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, William, uh, not William James, I was going to say William Jennings Bryan, but that's James Bryan Smith. I get all these names mixed up. James Bryan Smith, some of y'all have read his work um, uh, in spiritual formation. James says it this way, that what we should say to ourselves every day is, I am one in whom God dwells and delights. I am one in whom God dwells and delights. I asked my Bible study on Friday morning, and it messed everybody up, but that's my job, you know. I figure if you go to church or you don't hear something, you go, what? What's the point, you know? Uh, I said this to my Bible study, and I ask you this. Is it ever possible for God to quit loving you? Is that even possible? You ought to think about this. I'm not talking about you give me your theological answer. I'm talking about the one right down here. Is it possible for God to not love you or to stop loving you? If his nature is love, I would say no. It doesn't mean he proves everything we do. But is he that personal? Is he that good? Can he ever stop loving you. That's my shepherd. He, he's the one that is giving me what all I need. Now, I'm going I'm to move on here. So I want to ask you to think about this. What if this week you find a quiet place and read John 10, 1 to 18? This is the section where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I laid my life down for the sheep. What if you meditated on that and, and gave it some attention and, and thought about this for a while to think, you know what? This is my shepherd. He, he is my shepherd. He, he is capable. He's able to love me and know me personally. I think, it, I think it makes all the difference in the world. I'll tell you real quick. I, I've told you before. It's been a long time. October's coming up. And October 22nd is a really important day to me. Uh, I, back in 2003, I was on a sabbatical uh, writing a book and having some time off. And, uh, you know, all of my friends in regular industry go, how come accountants don't get sabbaticals? I said, not my area. And, uh, you know, how come, how come engineers don't get sabbaticals? And I thought, anyway. Um, so uh, Becky and I had, uh, had uh, gone to a conference. We, we went up to Kansas City, met some friends, and went to a conference. And uh, we, got, we, we flew the company plane. And this time we got separated. I don't know if Becky wanted to just fly by herself in another place or what, but that, that's another issue. Um, but we got separate. We hardly ever get separate. We just, you know, got on late. And so I sat by myself, kind of toward the back of the plane. And I remember saying, this was 2003. This wasn't 45 years ago. It was 2003. And I remember looking up the aisle of that plane and just saying these words. Just kind of came out of me. I wasn't trying to be thoughtful. I just came out. I thought, Lord... How long is it going to be until I know you love me? That was 15 years ago. I was nearly 50 years of age. 
I had three, two graduate degrees and had studied the Bible, gone to seminary twice. And I just said, how long will it be? I mean, I know intellectually. I know, I know theologically. I got all the systems in place. But how long is it going to be before I know that you love me? Nothing happened. You know. So we go to the conference and come back and uh, stay at our friend's house in Kansas City. And my friend said to me, hey, uh, uh, um, w- would you mind going and praying with my staff? You know, I said, sure. I mean, I knew they were good people. And, and then he said to me, and Eddie Bauer doesn't open bull 10 anyway. So, you know, <laughs> nothing else to do. So I said, okay, there's a nice Eddie Bauer in Kansas City. <laughs> this again, shallow, shallow, shallow. Um, so we did. And uh, so we're praying, and my good buddy Gary Kendall, that we, uh, Becky grew up with, I've known for years, a good, good guy, pastor of a great church in Olathe. Gary, while we're praying, says, I, I feel compelled to pray for Cliff. And he's done that before. It wasn't, and I don't think he word, word the word compelled. He said, I feel directed. I think that was the word. I feel directed to pray for Cliff. And, of course, we're all just sitting there praying, and I, and I you know, I said, oh, great, you know. Wonderful. So Gary got up out of his chair and walked over and just kind of put his hands on me. And uh, he began to quote Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our sorrows and carried our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He began to pray that over me. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't any, I wasn't disposed to any of this. I, we're just praying. And for the first time in my life on October 22nd, 2003, which was 15 years ago, I'm not talking about when I was back a freshman in college. I'm talking about I was 50 years old. And I heard in my spirit, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And I heard three words in my soul. I heard them as clear as could be. He for me. Just as clear as anything I've ever heard in my life. He for me. Now, how does that happen to a professor on sabbatical writing a book about theology? Who for some reason and somehow... This personal awareness of he's my shepherd. He loves me. As you might imagine, every month on the 22nd, I rehearse that. It's in my calendar. It comes up every 22nd of every month. Early in the morning. And I rehearse those words. Haven't heard them again. Haven't heard them since. I don't live with a lot of emotion, you know. I, I, you know, mostly live from the neck up, thinking, you know, if I can't think it through, it can't be true. That's not true. And then every October 22nd, I, I have to just find a place to remember. You know, I, I don't tell this very often because the, the anxiety I have at telling is this. If I was in the audience and I was me before that, I'd be saying, hey, how come you haven't done that for me? 
And I don't want to add any pain to you. I don't, I don't want to add any. I, I, I don't know. So I, I don't talk about it a lot because I don't want to add pain to people who are saying, that's never happened to me. I've lived all my life on this kind of bare-knuckle faith, and I did. I have. I do. <laughs> Let me just be clear. I have lived by bare-knuckle faith. I often do live by bare-knuckle faith, and I probably will live by bare-knuckle faith at times. My shepherd loves me. There's, nothing's going to, in my opinion, going to be as helpful as for us to maybe take this to God and just say, I need to know this for me. And I, and I don't know, it, I, I'm, I'm afraid to say that because I'm not real mystical to begin with. Again, you know, I, I was telling a friend of mine one time, or my, my sister-in-law who's a charismatic Wild friend. Yeah. She thinks, she thinks I'm a hard-hearted resistor of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, she does. She just thinks, Cliff, you're just too hard-hearted. Maybe. But I mean, I remember one time I was praying and, and all of a sudden something. By the way, the thoughts and opinions of this teacher are not necessarily the thoughts and opinions of Crossing Community Church or its leadership. Okay. I'm just trying to show you, I kind of live out of my head. And I'm thankful because this, let me tell you, there have been times when I've had to hold on to the scripture or I'd have gone under. I didn't feel forgiven. But it says, if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. John 6, 37, it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast him out. Okay, all right. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believe in the righteous, with the mouth he confesses unto salvation. I've had to hang on those white knuckle, okay? And I will still. So my, you know, I was praying one day and I told my sister-in-law about this. And I said, you know, I was just praying and something just started moving up here. Yeah, uh-oh. No, I, I wasn't, uh-oh. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't like, ooh. I wasn't, it wouldn't, it, nah, I, here's what happened, though. I just, this, what happened? Kind of doing this. Again, thoughts and opinions, teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions. Just moving up. Got right about here. And I, this is me. I just went, huh. I wonder what that is. Now, my, my sister-in-law said, you quench the spirit, you knucklehead. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, I've had to live out of my head a long time. Because I have a lot of this, my shepherd. I love you, Cliff. I have a lot of that. Almost none of it. For whatever reason, I don't, I don't know. But to be able to say, not some flippant, you know, I, some people talk about God like I think, man, you're talking about, like you talk about ice cream. We're talking about the sovereign of the universe for crying out loud. He's my shepherd. He loves me. I, I don't know where you are in that. I would just say, read John 10. And let the Spirit of God and let Jesus take that passage. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. The hireling, the hireling he'll run. He'll, he'll take off. But I'm the good shepherd. Okay, that's the first thing, personal. Second, I'm going to get to this. 
taken into his care, pause. I'm using this term here. Look what he says. He makes me lie down. By the way, we're not going to finish this psalm today. Okay, just if you're new here or something. Or if you thought because it's only six verses, I could do this in one time. So relax. Take another drink of coffee. I, <clears throat> he makes me lie down. and Now, isn't that, this is interesting how this begins. He says, I got everything I need. What is it? Pause. Lay down. I thought about that. You know, uh, some of the research <clears throat> is, according to the Pew Center, is that 68% of Americans indicate that they are worn out. You got anybody there? <laughs> yeah. Some estimates say that over 30% of all workers in America are working sleep-deprived. When I get on an airplane, the first flight out, like that, I say, to the pilot, have you had any coffee? I'm not kidding. What time, I want to ask him, I want to know, what time did you go to bed last night? You know, because you read these things like, you know, they, uh, I mean, people are tired. And I remember when I was a pastor, I, I did a sermon series called Pastor, I'm Tired. Not just physically. I mean, we can all deal with that. I'm tired emotionally and spiritually. I'm tired of what's happening in my life. And, and when you look at this, it says he makes me. And I, again, look, this is a causative in Hebrew. Makes me lie down. Uh, I, I want to I just say it from this standpoint. When we are under the care of God, he's going to see to it that we pause. And part of our problem, I think, is this. It's my, I read Dallas Willard just a few weeks ago when he said, in his writings, I wrote it down. He said, when you are not living in faith, you compulsively work. Oh, ooh. When, when you don't live in faith, you compulsively work. And what, what I did, I sensed the Spirit of God say this to me. And I told this to Becky. Maybe you don't think this is true, but, but it is, for whatever reason. I spend way too much time in lesson prep. In this respect, I am grinding as I'm studying. I'm not, I'm not rejoicing. I'm not relaxing. I'm trying to get the next point. I'm trying to get the next idea. And I'm grinding. And I told Becky the other day, I said, my Saturdays have got to change. I get up early and work on the Sunday school lesson about three and a half hours and get up Sunday morning and work about three hours. And I said, my Saturdays have got to change because I am compulsively working, thinking i got to find another story, one more example, one more verse, one more thing. I got to, and it's compulsive, 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 and God is saying, pause. Yeah. Mm, pace is a four-letter word, yeah. <laughs> to set a pace, you know. I mean, think about your kids. Did you ever have trouble getting them to take a nap? What, what is it about children? They're tired. They're cranky. They need to go to bed. Mom wants to take a nap. I, I'm convinced it's not the kid that needs to take a nap. Not the kid that needs to take a nap. It's mom or it's dad. Like, we got to take a nap, right? They fight it. Why? Oh, I want to play. Listen, 
We fight rest because we think too much is on us. Watch how this begins. I have everything I need because the Lord makes me rest first. I'm going to say this, and you, you, you can, I hope I'm not going too far on this. But how would our lives change in our Christian life if we began from the position of rest and not the position of activity? There's some of us that we get our value from what we do. If we can't do it anymore, then we feel like we don't have any value. Or if God uses us in a particular way, we feel affirmed. And, and so what, what we're doing is we're not really serving God. We're serving ourselves to say, i got to feel this way. I've been there. Fight it every week. But, but this idea of, of, of resting, of saying, I can begin from the position of rest in the Christian life. Let me give you some evidence on that. He makes me lie down. He makes me take a nap. He says the Christian life begins from the position of rest. What I mean by this is, E. Stanley Jones said it this way, is your religion due or done? Is it due or done? It's been taken care of. There's a, there's a place for activity. There's an understanding of that. But do we begin our understanding of being in the care of God? That's what we're talking about. That it begins from a position of rest. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you a list of things to do. <laughs> right? That's a church I grew up in. <laughs> Come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden. And what did Jesus say he would give? Rest. I've got a couple other passages here. If you want to go read them later... <clears throat> In Isaiah 30, 15, it says, In returning and rest, you will be saved. Isaiah 30, 15. In returning and rest, you'll be saved. Uh, this, this, this frantic style of life that we live where we think it's on us and God is depending on us and, and waiting on us. Listen, the shepherd leads. He doesn't drive. And he begins from the position of rest. Not from the position of activity. Not from the position, I've got to show God how much I love Him. I've got to show God how much I'm going to do for Him. <clears throat> I've got to prove to God how much I love Him. I begin at the position of rest. Is that how you started the Christian life? Is that how you live the Christian life? Is that when you're under the care of God, that's what your first thought is? I can rest <clears throat> in the finished work of Jesus. And anything that I do, in any way that I live, is an expression of gratitude, not achievement. That's the, that's the distinction there. Anything I do now out of service or activity is out of gratitude, not achievement. Can I, will I live from rest? You might, you might just note this. I'm just giving you a lot of verses here because he says he makes me lie down. The first thing, first rattle out of the box. I've often <clears throat> said this to other people, but you know, that I, we used to sing a great hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
I'm resting on him. By the way, I've asked song leaders around the country, do you know what it means to not trust the sweetest frame? I didn't either. I sang it for 40 years. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. In the 1800s, that idea is feelings. I don't trust my feelings. I wholly lean on Jesus' name. I told you I'm a white-knuckle faith guy at times. I'm a white-knuckle faith guy. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Pause. Rest. Rely. Depend on I've been fascinated. I read a book years and years ago, maybe you have too, <clears throat> by a guy named Watchman Nee. And he <clears throat> makes an interesting observation about the entire book of Ephesians, which is a classic uh, rendition of the Christian life. And the name of the book and the, the way he works it out is called Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit, Walk, Stand. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, we have been seated with him in heavenly places. That's where we start. Seated. Resting. Pausing. In chapter 4, it says, now walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord. And finally, in 6.11, now stand against the enemy. How does it begin? Set. Or sit. My dad used to always give it set, sit. They're two different words, Cliff. I know. I'm from East Texas. They can be syntact. They have a lot of syntactical range here. You got to begin by sitting. That will give you the strength to walk, which will enable you to stand. This is a big deal, guys. We have to begin the Christian life in the care of God from the position of rest. Lie down. Leave it to God. Let Him handle this. I've always been fascinated. I haven't read a lot of fiction. I've got a couple of friends who are going to give me a really hard time about this. The reason I read fiction, it isn't true. Okay, so leave that at that. <clears throat> Just isn't. And there's some things you can learn from it. I'll admit that. You know, but theology, <laughs> theology is the queen of the sciences, okay? So let's, don't argue with me about this. But in the classic book by Henry Melville, Moby Dick, in the great struggle against the great whale, Melville <clears throat> says the sailors are laboring fiercely and every muscle is taut, all attention and energy, concentrating on that, the task. The cosmic conflict between good and evil is joined. Captain Ahab in his boat. However, there's one man who does nothing. He is languid in the crash and in the cursing that's going on. This man is the harpooner. Quiet and poised. Waiting. And then to this sentence. To ensure the greatest efficiency in the dart. The harpooners of the world must start to their feet out of idleness, not toil. The harpooners of this world must rise to their feet 
from idleness and not toil. What's he saying? From rest. Not the frantic rowing of the boat and the screaming and the yelling and the gathering of the ropes. It is this rising from idleness. And, and what I'm trying to connect that with is this. Your shepherd has everything you need. My shepherd. We can relax. Learning how. And we're gonna, for the rest of the psalm, there's some things here will show us. But when you rise in the day, do you rise with this frenetic, frantic, I got to make it happen? I've got some leadership guys on the They say, if it is to be, it's up to me. That's baloney. If it is to me, if it is to be, it's up to me. No, it's not. We have a shepherd who says, lie down, rest. So I'm going to ask you to do something today. This will be hard. I dare you. <laughs> if the cowboy game goes the way I think it will, about the second quarter, you'll be fine. <clears throat> Listen, I'm I want to tell you something. You can talk to people in spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines. Listen, rest is a discipline. Just try it. Watch what happens on the inside of you. All those nerves start jangling and thinking things you got to do and where you need to be. And if you don't finish it, just watch what happens. Rest is an act of spiritual trust. That the God that I serve and the God that I know has everything I need. And one of the ways I express my trust in Him is to lie down. Lie down. He makes me lie down. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we believe that being put in your trust is the best way to go, the best way to live. But we're nervous. We're at times filled with shame. Sometimes don't really believe the gospel is really that good news. Help us to pause here to let you make us lie down to know that you personally care for us and you know our name. Everything in us starts rattling when we try to lay down. Would you give us the good wisdom trust you to believe that you know our name and you know our needs we pray it in Jesus strong name amen